Welcome to the Half Mind Solar Podcast, providing off-grid solutions for an on-grid world. Our goal is to give you ideas and information that you can utilize in your own life to increase your self-sufficiency and independence. Hey everyone and welcome to the Hack My Solar Podcast. This is Sean Mills and today we're going to talk about batteries. So we've worked our way from the sun into the solar cell through the solar panel which is now built into an array. That array is wired up into a charge controller And now we're going to start dumping energy into our batteries. So we want to talk about the type of batteries that we have uh, available to us. We want to talk about which ones do what, uh, what the cost impact of uh, different battery choices are, and uh, just give you some general overview information on how do we size up a battery uh, system. So... Over the lifetime of your system, batteries are probably going to be the most expensive part because the ones that are cost-effective when starting a system don't last very long, and the ones that last uh, a relatively long time are prohibitively expensive. Um, Batteries are the center cog of any system because they store the excess energy produced by your source, uh, whether that source be a solar array, generator, or even the grid. And then they distribute that energy when the generation falls below the need. So uh, they are literally the center cog. Uh, Energy comes in and goes out. Um, And there's a couple different things to consider uh, when you're designing your battery bank. Uh, So one of those is how many days of autonomy do you want? So assuming that you've determined how much electricity you use, um, and, and you know kind of how much electricity is coming in. Um, now we have to stop and say, okay, if the sun doesn't shine for three days, uh, we want to be okay. So we want three days of autonomy. Um, you know, you may say, hey, you know what? I've got a generator hooked up to it. So, you know, I'll run one day of, of storage with no, um, you know, with no input. And if I don't get any uh, a sun on the second day, then I'll go out and crank the generator. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. When we first went off grid, we didn't even have batteries. All we had was a generator. So we said, okay, what are all the things that we need to do that we need electricity for? Let's plan them all out and assign chores to the different family members. We'll go outside. We'll crank the generator up. And we'll do the jobs that we need to do, and when they're all done, we'll turn the generator off. That was kind of tough early on because we couldn't have water if we didn't have the generator on. Now, we did have pressure tanks, so we had about 30 gallons of drawdown. But, um, you know, living in a house with uh, myself, my wife, and, and two young daughters... Uh, 30 gallons doesn't last very long, so uh, we definitely had to be strategic about our uh, water use and our energy use early on because uh, 
We were still trying to work our way through the system. We were still in the process of designing it, and uh, we didn't have all the components in place. The first step that we took outside of the generator was a battery bank and an inverter. So we, we bought an inverter slash charger that we could wire our generator to, and what we would do then is we could use the generator to charge up the battery bank and power stuff in the house at the same time. But then when we turn the generator, <clears throat> excuse me, when we turn the generator off, we still had power stored in the batteries that the inverter could then send into the house. So now we had electricity essentially 24 seven. Um, at that point, we, we really couldn't, uh, we couldn't have, um, you know, cooled with that system without the generator being on. But the gap between having battery bank installed and solar panels generating electricity, that entire gap happened in late fall through winter and into early spring where we didn't really have a cooling need. Uh, so by the time we got to, uh, you know, day one of flipping the air conditioner on, we had... Um, we had the solar panels in place. We had, you know, designed everything based on what our needs were. And, uh, I actually kind of overcompensated, uh, for the cooling need during the day, but I actually undercompensated for it during, uh, at night. So, uh, we got into a situation where we were generating a lot more electricity than we were using during the sunny parts of the day, but we needed a lot more electricity than we had stored at night taking into account that we did not really want to draw down too much on the batteries because we wanted them to last for a long time. And, and, you know, right now those batteries have been in the system for five years. I can definitely tell a difference, but they're still doing a good job. And so, you know, that's kind of the the next point that I want to bring up is um, what, uh, what, what type of maintenance are you going to be committed to doing? Um, certain types of batteries are kind of set and forget, and other types of batteries are pretty high maintenance. Uh, the ones that we got are pretty high maintenance. And, and we've done, you know, we've put a lot of due diligence into equalizing them and uh, making sure that they're filled with electrolytes and, you know, making sure that we're not drawing them down too far. And, uh, you know, they've, they've, um, rewarded us with so far a pretty long life. Uh, so how committed you're, you're going to be to maintenance is another consideration to take. Um, the, uh, the next thing you want to look at is what, what type of climate are your batteries going to be stored in? Uh, the ratings that come on batteries are based on them being stored around 80 degrees. Uh, if they're stored at below freezing conditions, then, you know, you're going to get about half that capacity, which means you need 50% more batteries, uh, to meet your needs. Uh, you know, and then of course the cruel, uh, corollary fact is that when it's cold, you normally have less sunlight. So if you store in your batteries in an area that gets really cold, uh, at the same time you're getting less sunlight to uh, charge them back up and top them off, uh, you can really start to damage those batteries. So that's something to think about. What voltage is your battery bank going to be? You know, a 12-volt system is pretty easy. Uh, you know, most of your your deep cycle batteries you can get in 12 volts even when you start going in on onto the industrial side you can get them in six volt volts so two of them together is 12 uh, but when you start drawing a lot of current um, 
off of that 12 volts to get to the number of watts that you need, right? So if you're at 12 volts, um, you know, the higher the wattage requirement, the more amperage you're going to need to multiply by that 12 volt system in order to get up to uh, your needs. That that means you need thicker wire because, you know, the higher the amperage, the thicker the wire, or you start going to see a lot of resistance losses. So at that point, you may want to look into stepping up to 24 or even a 48 volt system uh, to reduce the wire size and re- to reduce the number of parallel strings. Uh, another thing about batteries is that you don't want to have a lot of parallel strings. Um, it's better to wire, uh, you know, four batteries in, in series uh, in one string than to have uh, four batteries all wired in parallel. Uh, just because of, of the nature of batteries, you could have one battery that, that gives up its charge a little faster, or, or maybe one cell in one battery that gives up its charge a little faster than, than the rest of them do and, and, and begins to damage itself. And then that reduces the capacity of the, capacity of the entire battery bank. And we're going to go into, to those numbers a little later, uh, when we talk about actually designing uh, the whole off-grid system. We'll talk about the different types of battery ratings they are, there are and utilizing those to determine what size and what voltage battery bank, how many amp hours you want, things like that. Today we're mainly just wanting to focus on what the different types of batteries are and, and how they're used. But it's important that to, to, to think a little bit about you know, th- those things, how, how many days, what's the climate, how much maintenance am I going to be willing to do, what voltage makes sense for my use, um, when you, you know, before you start considering the types of batteries. So without any further ado, let's jump into Mr. Tried and True, the flooded, uh, flooded lead acid battery. All right. So the flooded lead acid battery for solar, uh, such as golf cart batteries, are the most common off-grid battery bank component. Uh, that's what we have. We have Trojan T105 golf cart batteries. I bought them from a, from a golf cart place. And, uh, when I go to get new ones, I will probably go to a golf cart place. And while I haven't done it yet, one of these days, I may actually call up a golf course and ask them if they're interested in getting rid of uh, used batteries, um, you know, for a uh, low or uh, reduced fee. <laughs> so in any case, um, flooded lead acid batteries are the lowest cost option. Uh, they tip- typically last between four and seven years, although I know people that have 10-year-old batteries that are still working. Uh, they, they use them only for certain things, and they really take care of them very well. They store them in the proper climate. And they're a decade old and still going strong. Uh, the, the depth of discharge is how much of the available energy in that battery are you pulling out before you start to recharge it. That's the depth of discharge. And how deep of a discharge you put on a battery, uh, on a flooded lead acid battery at least, uh, is really going to determine how many cycles you get. So the cycle is we go down to a certain percentage depth of discharge and then back up. And hopefully we're going back up to 100 when we start talking about putting all this knowledge together to design a full system. That's what we're going to want to do is we're going to make sure every 
three days, two days, whatever it is, we're bringing that, those batteries back up to 100% charge. Because if we don't, then that also reduces the amount of battery life. Another thing to remember about flooded lead-acid batteries, well, you only ever want to take 50% of the energy out. So um, whatever their rating is, you know, you basically just cut it in half because you go further than 50%, they're going to go bad on you so quickly that it's not even going to be worth having. So, uh, so anyways, they, they still will work pretty well. Um, you know, if you, if you beat them up a little bit, but you can't beat them up too much or, or they're going to go downhill quickly. You know, 10 years in, if you got a battery that's still running at about 60% effective rate, of its of its nameplate rating, that's that's good. You've gotten your money out of that thing, but because you're going to have to continually replace them, you know, if you replace lead acid batteries every five years, and you get panels that last twenty five, to, to, well, the warranty lasts twenty five. Let's be real; these things are going to last forty years probably. Then you know you're talking about a lot of battery switch outs, right? So while the cost is low to get into it. Over the lifetime of the system, it will be your most expensive component. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, sealed batteries are kind of the next one up. Uh, they do offer some advantages over flooded lead acid because they're relatively maintenance-free. Uh, the only thing they really require is a, is a regular full charge. They don't spill. Uh, they're not going to leak fluid. They can be installed in any orientation because you don't need to, to get to the tops to fill up the electrolyte. You could store them sideways, upside down. They don't have to be in a special enclosure that vents the uh, the off gas to the outside. Um, you know, they they just kind of sit there and take a charge. They absorb it. Um, absorbed glass mat is one of the versions, and another version is they t turn the electrolyte into gel. And they're expected to last around eight years when protected from overcharging. You know, so yeah, they're 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 basically good for twice what the low end of a leaded a flooded lead acid is. Uh, so again, relatively low maintenance. If you set your charge controller up, you know these days your charge controllers, at least the MPPT ones that I tell you to use, uh, you can tell it that you've got a a, a glass AGM battery, and uh, it's going to do the rest. You know. Uh, it's not going to overcharge it. It's going to make sure that it gets the full charge as long as you've got the right amount of wattage coming in from the panels. Uh, and but they're you know those are very you know very much plug and play batteries, um, but they do cost about twice as much as flooded lead acid per amp hour. Okay. Uh, and then the next category is your lithium-ion batteries. So your lithium-ion batteries, they're, they're the wave of the future, okay? Uh, they're going to offer you twice the average lifespan of a lead-acid battery with a higher rate of depth of discharge, uh, a smaller space, and about half as uh, heavy per kilowatt hour of storage. Uh, the problem with them is that the current charge technology in the market hasn't really caught up with lithium ion and they're very picky when it comes to overcharging i mean you overcharge lithium ion batteries you might as well have just set them on fire um you know the power wall is a is a is a pretty neat solution it's got a built-in battery management system uh, but it's really used for grid connected hybrid systems um 
and and maybe one day we'll cover the Powerwall and and what it is and how it works and what type of application it works well for. But realistically, right now with current technologies, I would not recommend lithium ion. They're very very expensive, um, and uh, they're just the the technology. Uh, isn't there, it, they're going to be very, very high maintenance, um, you know, and that's a lot of money to spend on something that one afternoon of, of uh, overcharging uh, can really, really mess your battery bank up, can cause fires and things like that. I don't know if you guys remember uh, back in the, the early days of the electric vehicles, but uh, there was a lot of problems with fires related to overcharge. Well, there's a lot of problems with fires related to several different things, uh, but one of those issues was overcharging. Uh, and then you've got nickel-iron batteries. So nickel-iron batteries are old, right? So uh, uh, Iron Edison, which is the only person that I know of in the U.S. That, where you can get these things from, uh, says that uh, Thomas Edison is actually the one that invented this technology. Uh, they are the most expensive, but they are the most bulletproof batteries also. Uh, they can take 11,000 cycles at 80% depth of discharge. And that's, I mean, you take a... You take a Trojan T105 down to 80, 80% uh, depth of discharge, you're, you're talking about probably a year's worth of use. So if you did that every day, that would be 365 cycles. With these nickel iron uh, batteries, you take them down 80% depth of discharge every day, every day, and you get 30 plus years worth of use. I mean, that is ridiculous. Um, they have a very wide range of operating temperatures, and uh, they're resistant to both over- and undercharge conditions. Uh, but again, like I said, they're very expensive. Um, you know, if you're looking for a battery that's going to last as long as your solar array with low maintenance, and you have the financial means to utilize nickel iron, that's that's the direction you would go. Um for the money, for the ease of use, um, you know, for the fact that you plug and play these bad boys and 30 years later they're probably still going strong. I mean, if they're rated for 30, in today's day and age, they're probably good for, for 50% more than that. You know, it's like the um, it's like the antibiotics with the expiration date on it, right? So, really, um, if you've got the financial means to spend you know, $10,000 per battery, if you do the math in a lot of situations, it's actually the cheapest way to go over the course of the system. You're just front-loading all of the, the money at the, at the very beginning. So um, we didn't have the financial means to do that when, when we um, put our system in. I looked at them. I had a real big man crush on, uh, on nickel iron. And, and I still think that for what they are, um, it, it, at least, you know, if you believe the marketing, which I know a lot of it's marketing, but these things have been around and been tested for a long time, uh, they really are the way to go. Once again, if you can stomach the upfront cost. Uh, for ease of, of use, low cost of, of entry, and, and, and decades and decades worth of information and uh, tribal knowledge on how to use them, the flooded lead acid is the way to go. Um, if you want something that's going to give you 
you know, decent life, you know, more than the flooded lead, flooded lead acid, and going to give you kind of maintenance-free, uh, and you're willing to spend a little bit of extra money, then those sealed batteries are the way to go. And, and I think lithium-ion is where we're going to end up. But it's cost-prohibitive and too finicky for my taste right now. Uh, so, you know, right now, I would say stay away from the lithium-ion. Unless you just know, I mean, maybe you work with lithium-ion and uh, batteries that work, and, and you know you know, you know know how to use them. In that case, hey, go for it. But uh, for, the, for the standard DIY solar off-grid enthusiast, um, I would say go flooded lead acid, uh, or maybe even sealed if you want that maintenance free, uh, nickel iron, if you've got the money, but stay away from lithium right now. So anyways, hope you learned something today, folks. Uh, please bear with me as I continue to convert the blog over to the podcast. Um, I'm teaching myself how to do recordings and edit them and publish them and get them into iTunes and things like that. Um, and, and, you know, I, I said at the beginning, I'm going to focus on content over, uh, production value, at least for right now. I want to get information out. That's my number one goal. Uh, the next blog or rather the next podcast is going to be the first one that is not based on an actual existing blog post. So this is going to be straight from the gut. Uh, so anyways, this has been Sean from Hack My Solar. Uh, thanks for joining me, and I look forward to talking to you again soon.